0: Uh, Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges, uh, chapter 3. Our sermon text this morning is just a single verse. Uh, It's probably safe to say this is the only sermon in your life you'll hear uh, on this particular verse. Maybe not, uh, but we are continuing our study through the book of Judges. While you're turning there to chapter 3 and we'll start at verse 30, I wonder if the children could help us remember. So we've looked at uh, two judges so far. The first judge we looked at was who? Yes? Othniel. Very good. And does anyone remember where Athniel was from? Which tribe? You know, Reuben? Okay, that wasn't Athniel. That was the, save that answer for the next one. Yeah? Judah. OK, so Athniel was from Judah. The second judge was who? Yes? Okay, Ehud, and he was from Benjamin. Excellent, that's right. So that two judges, so today is the third judge, and I want you to listen for where he's from. That's an important part of our message. So I'm just going to read verse 30 to give us context, and verse 31, the text we'll be focusing on. This is the word of God. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. And the land had rest for 80 years. After him, that is Ehud, was Shamgar, the son of Anat, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. And there we'll end the reading of God's word. May he bless us as we consider Shamgar this morning. This semester, I'm working with a graduate student uh, who confided in me that she's uh, really terrified to speak in public. Uh, so she's uh, doing an assistant instructor job with a lab course, and um, she said she's very, very nervous. And what's interesting about that, and I've, I've told her this, is that she's probably the best uh, teacher as an assistant instructor uh, that I've worked with, and the whole time that I've been over at the university. She's absolutely fantastic. Uh, so it's an issue sort of of confidence. It's an issue of comfort level. It's not really an issue of her ability at all, because she does a, re- a really nice job. And I think in some ways, that's, that's how we can be when it comes to our Christian life, when it comes to our service uh, to God and his church. Uh, we can feel like uh, we don't have anything to offer. We can lack confidence and, uh, and we can lack comfort. And sometimes this keeps us from doing things that we would otherwise be able to do. Maybe we're, uh, we're slow to take on a new challenge or we're hesitant to try out some new ministry. I feel quite confident in saying that every one of us at one time or another has not done something we probably could have done uh, just because we lacked the faith to try it. Uh, or perhaps even sometimes the willingness to try it. Well, the, the passage we have this morning introduces us to an almost uh, mystical figure, this man Shamgar. And as we grapple with what, who he was on the one hand and then what he did uh, on the other hand, we'll be reminded that God uses an amazing array of people to accomplish his purposes. And and this is helpful for us as we think about how he might want to be using us if perhaps we're hesitant or questioning what we might do for the Lord. And so you'll see the main point that we want to cover in this sermon, it's in your outline there that was given to you as an insert, is that in the mystery of God's providence, he's pleased to use all sorts of people to accomplish his purposes. And this includes you. This includes you and this includes me. Now, children, if you're going to draw this picture, I want you to draw a picture of Shamgar holding his ox goad. So we're going to have to listen to understand what an ox goad is and uh, what kind of a man Shamgar was and uh, see how the Lord might teach us something through this. Well, if you'd like to follow along with the outline, you'll see the first thing we want to notice is that peace in this life is always under threat. Uh, But God is pleased to use his people to help preserve it. So it's important to get the context for the story of Shamgar. Uh, I read verse 30 to remind you that the end of the Ehud episode, Ehud, the left-handed assassin, who, uh, who led the people uh, to freedom from subjugation to Moab, uh, brought in a period of 80 years. This is the longest time of peace during this whole book. So this 80-year period began. And then it says in verse 31, after him was Shamgar. But then if you look in chapter 4, verse 1, it says when Ehud was dead. So Shamgar's episode takes place within the 80 years of peace that was brought on by Ehud. So Shamgar is sort of a footnote within this time period. And so it's helpful to remember that even though they had a time of relative peace where they weren't being invaded from outside, that didn't mean that there weren't threats to that peace that were constantly on the horizon. And this is one of the reasons I gave you the map that you have in the, uh, in the bulletin insert. And so you see that last week we were talking about a threat from Moab and the nations that they had collaborated with. And they were on the east, sort of on the east. Right through the middle you have the Sea of Galilee, then you have the Jordan River, and then the Dead Sea. So to the right of the Sea of Galilee and, to the, and, and then down you see Moab and Ammon. And these had come in uh, north of the Dead Sea, had come into the land. And, uh, and Ehud had repelled them. Uh, but now we're talking about the Philistines, okay? And so if you look on the west, you see uh, this is Philistia right along the coast. And there were five major cities there. And at the time that the judges occurred, the Philistines were actually fairly new on the scene. They came uh, from people, uh, they, we think, in the Aegean Sea uh, through the ocean. And, and they were initially attacked on try, uh, try, focused on trying to invade Egypt and we're not successful in doing that and so established these sort of five city states along the coast of the Mediterranean and during this time their focus is still somewhat on Egypt but it appears that they must have sent out uh, some kind of a reconnaissance or a scouting or a foraging party of 600 men uh, sent them westward uh, here uh, or sorry eastward into uh, the the territory of the Israelites, and so uh, 600 is about the size of a battalion, and so these soldiers have been sent in, and this is the group that Shamgar encounters, and it's a a reminder that although they have peace, right, this described this time of peace of 80 years, yet there are constant threats to that peace that have to be taken care of in order to preserve the peace, and in this case, this man Shamgar is used In a remarkable way to turn back uh, an entire battalion of Philistine soldiers. And the Philistines were well-trained warriors who had come over and and literally fought uh, to establish a place here. And throughout the next several hundred years of Israel's history... Uh, the Philistines are, begin, are going to become the major rival for control of this area. And, uh, and that's going to be happening for a long time. But what's really interesting is that this event here, Shamgar subduing this this one raiding party or whatever it was, one battalion of Philistines, we don't really hear about them bothering the Israelites for over 100 years. It's not till chapter 13... Of judges, where the Philistines come back in and start harassing uh, the Israelites again. So what Shamgar does here apparently discourages them from messing with the Israelites for a long time. And so it's a significant ministry that he has. And uh, I quote from uh, Lawson Younger, one of the commentators I found helpful, and he says, it's clear from the text of Judges so far that Yahweh will deliver Israel from their oppressors However, it's also clear that his methods may not be so easy to predict or to explain. And as we talk about this, we'll see just how true that is in Shamgar's situation. Uh, But at a minimum, it ought to encourage us that here we see God using one of his people to preserve the peace that has been hard won by others. And this, in fact, is something that you and I are called to do as well. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And this is a reminder that, in a sense, whatever peace, to whatever extent we enjoy it, uh, in the church, in our families, in the community is always tenuous, it's always under threat. There's always uh, some uh, crisis that's uh, just on the horizon, uh, some challenge that we may receive, some difficult person that we're dealing with that may disturb the peace. And, And Jesus wants us, you as his servant, to be a minister of peace, an agent of reconciliation, one who is not adding to the chaos and conflict of life, but one who is seeking to preserve a peace that's been hard won by another, uh, but we, by God's grace, have a role in preserving that peace. And this is what Shamgar was doing. But secondly, we see here also that you don't have to have a special background to be used by God. So let's look more closely at who this man Shamgar was. Uh, Well, the name Shamgar, it's interesting, the scholars are arguing about whether that's a Hurrian name, is that a Canaanite name, what kind of name is it. One thing they agree on, this is not a Jewish name. So this person does not have a Jewish name. And some think, as I said, it's a Canaanite name. So what does that mean? Does that mean Shamgar was actually a Canaanite who was converted uh, to serving Yahweh, the true God, or is it perhaps that Shamgar is the result of one of these mixed marriages that we talked about before? That the Israelites have gone in and they've married, they intermarried with some of the Canaanites, and perhaps that uh, he's from some kind of a mixed family uh, where um, either mom or dad are Canaanites. Uh, further complicating sort of understanding who he is is the, the the title that's put with him. He is the son of Anat, um, in the Hebrew, he's ben hanat, anat. And uh, this gets even more confusing because anat is a female name. And so that would be very atypical. You, you, could, you would be a son of your father. You might be a son of your father's business. Uh, but uh, men weren't usually named son of their mother. Uh, further complicating this is that the name anat is actually the name of a Canaanite goddess who was well-known at this time, who was in the the Canaanite pantheon, was considered an ally of the god Baal. But she was actually a goddess of war. And so this has led to all kinds of speculation. Uh, Was Shamgar dedicated to this idol when he was a child? So one of his parents dedicate him to serve this goddess of war. Was he a part of a warrior guild? Uh, There's some evidence that the sons of Anat were a mercenary group who who fought for a living. Uh, So is that in his past? Uh, Others have suggested that maybe this is a place name. And so if you look on your map, you'll see Shamgar is the box that shows this judge Shamgar is way at the north, way at the top. And the little arrow points to a town called Beth Anat. Uh, the, the, the house of Anat. And there's a question mark there because uh, it's not really the same thing. Being the son of Anat is not the same thing as being, being being born in the house of Anat. And so as far as I can tell, this is the only reason some of these maps put Shamgar way up here because the bottom line is we really don't know where he's from. He fought the Philistines and they're over here on the west side. So uh, I'm not sure that his box should be up at the top of the, of the map. But isn't that fascinating? Uh, here is a man uh, who's being used as the savior and we literally do not know uh, who he is or where he's from. Uh, one commentator calls him the man from nowhere and yet he's the man that God uses to save Israel, to preserve this peace. Matthew Henry speaking about this says that God can make those eminently serviceable to his glory and his church's good, whose extraction, education, and employment are very mean and obscure, he that has the residue of the Spirit could, when he pleased, make plowmen judges and generals and fishermen apostles. And, And we are so prone to thinking that we have to have certain credentials or training or experience or family pedigree or whatever it is or else we can't do much for God in the world. And Matthew Henry here makes a great point. He says, tell that to the apostles of Jesus, who were fishermen. And, and children, if you're working on your picture, the point is Shamgar, all that we know here is he's a farmer. That's what we know about him. He's a farmer. Not a likely candidate to deliver them from the Philistines. He's as unlikely a warrior as the, as the, the apostles, the fishermen apostles uh, were uh, as servants of Christ. A friend of mine likens this to if we had heard about a great revival going on and uh, this new preacher was preaching the gospel and thousands of people were being converted and we heard that the preacher's name was Muhammad bin al Right? So here's a man who is dedicated to serving Muhammad. And God's using him to preach the gospel. And at a minimum, we would know there's a story there. There's a story there. And that's what we should think about Shamgar bin Anat. There's a really fascinating story there. How someone like that uh, is in a position to deliver the people of God. And I think that's a helpful reminder to us uh, because uh, it reminds us that God uses people from all kinds of backgrounds, or as in this case, from no background at all that we can discern. And, and people from, from broken homes, uh, people from addiction, uh, people from other difficulties and challenges, and it doesn't matter to God. Uh, God uses all kinds of people, and thank God that he does that. You don't have to have a special background to be used by God. You also, thirdly, don't have to have special tools to be used by God. Shamgar's story is even more remarkable when we realize what he actually did. It says that he killed 600 Philistines. Now, it doesn't actually tell us how he did that, but the implication is that this happened all at once especially the way this is presented, uh, that that other judges are presented in the book. I mean, I suppose he could have snuck around and killed 600 uh, over the course of years, but I don't think that's what's being described here, is that somehow he was able to kill an entire battalion of well-trained soldiers in one battle. And in addition, of course, the text tells us that not only did he accomplish that amazing feat, but that he did it, with no weapon of war at his disposal at all. He had a farming implement, uh, an ox goad. And so children here, if you're working on your drawing, an ox goad would have been a a pole about eight feet tall with a sharp point on one end and sort of a flat, almost shovel-like thing on the other end, Uh, and they would use it to train the oxen who were pulling a plow. And so the pole was long enough that you could... Uh, stick the oxen and direct them and, uh, and correct them if they weren't doing it properly. And then the flat part on the bottom could be used to scrape off the plow and to keep the plow clean. And so, yes, it could be a weapon, but clearly this is not an ideal weapon. And uh, the story leaves us with many questions, right? How, how did this man do this? Uh, you know, was he, did he catch them by ambush in a narrow pass? Uh, did he sneak up from them uh, on them from behind? Um, was he trained in some kind of special martial art? Did he have superhuman strength? And, and the point of this all is it really doesn't matter how it happened. The point of it is that God did it. God did it and that this is something supernatural and definitely not something that you should try at home for sure. Matthew Henry now speaking on this one. It's it's no matter how weak the weapon, how weak the weapon is, if God direct and strengthen the arm, an ox goad, when God pleases shall do more than Goliath's sword, and sometimes He chooses to work by such unlikely means that the excellency of the power may appear to be of God, and that's part of the message. Uh, yes, an ox goad can kill people, but that's not really what it's designed for. And what's interesting in this book is how many different times an unconventional weapon is used. So we had a homemade sword last week. We have an ox goat, a farm implement this week. We're going to get tent pegs and millstones and pitchers uh, and jawbones, all kinds of things being used as, as weapons of war in, in this book. And, and the point is just as Matthew Henry is making it that the power in all of this comes from God. I was uh, reminded of the the Mel Gibson movie, The Patriot. Uh, it's a fairly violent movie, so not necessarily uh, recommending it. But uh, The Patriot tells the story of a, of a man who fought in the French and Indian War for the British, and then as an American uh, colonist is sort of drawn in unwillingly into the American War for independence because... Uh, the British sort of uh, force that forced the battle to him and, and he's sort of drawn from being a farmer. He doesn't want to fight anymore. He's a farmer and he's drawn into the battle and it actually comes out that he's quite uh, quite a vicious and skilled fighter and uh, he's not just a farmer as you learn more about him and I think it's tempting uh, some of the scholars have definitely done this to treat Shamgar as such a person, right? He's a retired mercenary who's an absolute stone-cold killer, and he's just farming, you know, and then uh, he's provoked in some way, and so he he takes up arms and he wipes out an entire battalion. I, and I don't think that's what we should be seeing here at all. The man is a farmer. The reason he has an ox goat is because he's plowing ground, and he's working with his, his oxen, and he's been forced into this situation so that we would give glory to God. God is supernaturally at work in this situation, giving this man strength and endurance to be able to defeat an entire battalion. And and it's interesting that later in the book of of Judges, it tells us the next time the Philistines are mentioned in, in Judges 10, verse 11, and this is in your outline, it says, so the Lord said to the children of Israel, did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines? And, and what God said, the only account we have of the Philistines to this point in the book is this one right here with Shamgar. So again, it's God saying, I did that. It wasn't Shamgar that did that. Ultimately, it was God who did that, who delivered them. And again, this is such an encouragement to you and to me, because it reminds us that we don't need special gifts, uh, special abilities, special tools in order to serve God. We simply need to use what God has already given us. That what God has already given us is sufficient for Him to work through His people uh, to accomplish His purposes. So you don't have to have a special background, you don't have to have special tools to be used by God. Rather, we see here fourthly that what you do need to be used are faith and a willing spirit. So we don't know the circumstances which propelled Shamgar to act. Did the Philistines uh, come onto his land? Did they uh, molest some person that he cared about? Did they kill his livestock? We, we just don't know. But what we do know is that God's spirit worked in his life heart and mind and encouraged him to do the best he could with the best thing he had at his disposal and he took that ox code and he used it and he didn't finish using it until the job was completed and this response happened because he trusted the Lord he trusted that this is what God wanted him to do and he trusted that God would work according to his plan. He was simply willing to obey. And this is, again, a, a very important thing for us to think about. Now, Sherry Chubb's not here this morning. I got her permission uh, to mention this new ministry that she's starting because I think it's such a great example of this very thing. So Sherry sees a need. She, we do a lot for the IU students who have come here to Bloomington, we love you guys. We love you guys. But Sherry realizes that we have a lot of kids that grew up in our congregation or our own children who are off in other schools and that maybe there would be an opportunity to try to specifically encourage those students who are away from us. Sherry loves to make cards. I think we've all been the beneficiary of, of, of Sherry remembering our birthdays and sending cards. And so she says... Maybe the Lord's calling me to start a ministry where we try to send cards and care packages to our kids who are away to encourage them while they're gone and just to let them know we're thinking of them. So, what she already knows to do, what she loves to do, an opportunity how do you know this is what God's calling you to do? Well, you pray about it. Uh, She asked the elders if we thought that was a good idea. We think it's a great idea. She asks other people if they want to come along boor, uh, alongside and join her. And other people are interested. And so they're, they're, this is how God leads, right? This shows there's a need, there's an opportunity, there's an interest, there's an open door. So she writes a bulletin announcement. And uh, Lena puts it in the bulletin. And now we are trying to start this new ministry. And I, it, this is how God works. It doesn't take anything special just doing what... God has already equipped us to do. And note that uh, we don't have to do everything that could be done. Shamgar didn't take on the Midianites. They're coming in uh, for the next story. Uh, He didn't take on the Ammonites. They were in the last story. He didn't even take on all the Philistines, just this one group. Remember, last week's judge took out 10,000 of the enemy. It's just 600. So he didn't do everything, but he just did what God called him, to do, all it takes is faith and a willing spirit. And we should all be praying that God would help us to see where he would use us in, his, uh, in doing what he wants to have done. Romans 12, 1 reminds us, Paul says there, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, that we're serving at God's pleasure. So what we need uh, to be used by God is faith and a willing spirit. So finally then, we want to thank God that Jesus Christ was a faithful and willing servant in our place. Yes, Shamgar had faith and a willing spirit. That was because God sent his spirit to work. You and I don't have the willing spirit or the faith that we should have. And oftentimes we would rather not be bothered than take on something new or to do something that we see needs to be done. But God reminds us through this passage that he's the one that works through his people. And the real story isn't Shamgar as much as it is God. What is God doing? God takes a man from nowhere. His origin His parentage, it's all a mystery. A man who may have even been a pagan for all we know. God saves him and then God uses him. And the text tells us that he also delivered Israel. Shambar would be considered a minor judge. There's only one verse on his whole life. But even as a minor judge, he delivered. That word could be translated saved. He saved Israel. Israel, And he comes then in the mold of the saviors of this book. And he points ahead to the ultimate savior and deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't it fascinating that the Lord Jesus came in obscurity, without pedigree, without reputation. When, jo- when Nathaniel was first introduced to Jesus, he said in John one forty six, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? When he heard Jesus was from Nazareth? Or how about what the people of his village said about him? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brother James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get these things? So they were offended by him. Who does he think he is? The man from nowhere. And literally, he was, in a sense, the man from nowhere. Uh, John 9.29, when he uh, opened the eyes of the blind man, the Pharisees said to the blind man, we know that God spoke to Moses, as for this fellow, we do not know where he's from. And the man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing. You do not know where he's from, yet he has opened my eyes. Uh, Jesus, of course, was born in Bethlehem, and nobody knew that. They, They thought he couldn't possibly be the Messiah. The blind man did not need to know Jesus' background or his pedigree or his training or his skill set. All he needed to know was that Jesus opened his eyes and allowed him to see. And that's who our Savior is. The one who was willing to be obscure and unappreciated and yet came and lived by perfect faith. Willingly laying down his life, suffering humiliation, willing to be abused Willing to bleed and to die and to rise again for his people. He was a willing servant, totally obscure. But notice also that Jesus used the most unconventional weapon to win his great battle with Satan and with death and with sin. And the weapon he used was a cross and the victory he won by dying on that cross, a tool of execution. He is the ultimate savior. You and I are not the willing servants we should be, but the Lord Jesus Christ is that perfectly faithful, perfectly willing servant who came from obscurity, who used the most unconventional approach to his battle and yet secured salvation for you and for me. And if we trust him, if we know him, then you can have complete confidence that he will use you in some way to accomplish his purposes. And we need to pray for one another and encourage one another in that great work that the Lord has called us to. This is the mystery of God's providence. He's pleased to use all sorts of people people like you and like me to accomplish his good purposes. Let's pray and let's give him thanks for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, obscure part of scripture, something we could easily pass over. And yet, Lord, we see in here a window on the way you work. People that are so unlikely to be your servants. You, you save them, you call them to faith, and then you use them. And Lord, we thank you that that is the case because it means people like us can be saved. We can know you and that we can be used by you. We thank you that our Lord Jesus uh, was willing to be obscure for our sake, uh, that he uh, suffered for us And that his chosen weapon was the cross on which he hung. How we thank you, Lord, that we have in Christ a great Savior. And we thank you how we see in Shamgar uh, the work of our Lord and the encouragement to trust in you. We pray you would help us even this week to trust you and to offer ourselves willingly to your service. And that you would help us to see what you want us to do. We pray this all. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we'll sing back our praise to the Lord from Psalm 87, Selection B. And I've chosen this psalm because it speaks about God's, uh, God's city, Zion. That's a picture of the church. But then it also speaks about all these foreign nations, including uh, Philistia. It mentions Egypt, Babylon, other foreign nations. And the point it makes here is that Uh, There's going to be people from all these foreign nations found in the city of God. And uh, it's going to be said of them that here is one who's born. And uh, the point is that all these people from all over these foreign uh, tribes are going to be considered natural born citizens of the kingdom of God. Because of his grace and because of our great deliverer and savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand and we'll sing to him together.